What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. I am your host, Brett McGrath, and I am fired up to be sharing this conversation with you today. This is a long time coming. I am joined by Andy Albert, who is the owner at Indie Card Exchange. Couple Indianapolis guys here talking cards. I'm fired up for this. The topic for today is the role of the LCS in the hobby in 2023 and beyond. There has been a lot of conversation around the LCS, its role in the past couple of weeks. A lot of people spinning up thoughts, ideas, some good, some bad. What I wanted to do was bring Andy on. Andy has been running a successful card store for a long time. And I think he is someone who has a strong brand reputation and also is very mindful of the customers that he's serving on a regular basis. He does a lot for the community and a lot for our hobby. And so I wanted to bring him on to have this conversation. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons. Most importantly, tell a damn friend that you're enjoying Stacking Size Podcast. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I'm excited about this conversation. Have a little bit of a local connection or a, a very much a local connection on the show. Um, and I want to talk about a topic, and the topic is the role of the LCS in the hobby in 2023 and beyond. When we think about our hobby and we think about um, growth and we think about the staples, I think one of those things is the hobby shop. And I was talking to our guest about just the tribal knowledge that these owners have. And I think as so much changes around us, it's always good to be reminded of why we're here and he learn about the things that come in um, to the retail store on a, on a regular basis. So we're going to get into a bunch of that. But without further ado, I am joined by Andy Albert. He is the owner at Indie Card Exchange. Andy, welcome. How are you doing, man? I'm great, Brett. Thank you so much for inviting me, man. It's fun to be on. A lot of celebrities that I uh, admire and respect have been on stacking slabs. So I'm glad to be in the same breath. Appreciate it. It's funny. It's just amazing. It's like so many people that we all know in the hobby. There's so it's like a spider web. There's so many connections. And I'll say this about you just, you know, this is our first time really chatting, but like, I feel like uh, you have built such a, a strong uh, brand presence in the hobby. Um, I talk to a lot of different people and um, whenever your name or your store comes up, everyone has kind words to say about kind of what you're doing. And I think, I don't know, I'm a brand guy, I'm a marketer for a living. So I just, maybe we'll, we'll just start there. Just like the brand you've built in the hobby personally and your store, like how are you thinking about that on a regular basis through like all the interactions you have with people online, on Instagram, people coming in your store, maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, brand is obviously important to me too. It's, I think brand and relationships and trustworthiness kind of all run synonymous for me because I've really focused personally with the team that I have in this shop to make sure that our brand starts inside these four walls, right? So if you're going to get that recognition nationally, it's going to, like you use the term spider web, it's going to spider web out throughout the country. And you know, I've owned the shop for almost 11 years now. It's taken, I mean, it's taken a long time to finally gain that brand recognition because ironically, when we first, when I first purchased the shop, we were called Baseball Card Exchange. And 
Steve Hart, who I respect a lot up in Northwest Indiana, moved from Illinois to Indiana and everybody thought he and I were the same company. So, you know, I was just a little fish in a huge pond back in 2012. And I'd go to the national or any sort of bigger show. Everybody say, oh, yes. How's Steve doing? You guys doing all right? I can't believe he opened a shop in Indianapolis. Well, he didn't, but I'm a different shop. (laughs) So about two years after purchasing the shop, I changed it to IndyCard Exchange and wanted to actually have like a cool logo with like making it look very vintagey. Um, you know, it kind of like mimics a vintage license plate. And that was kind of the look at the beginning. And um, from then on, just it's more about just making sure that that brand runs synonymous with the people that are actually taking care of you on a daily basis and that you can trust. So I've, that has been number one to me by far is establishing that baseline trust so that people know that they can come to us for anything and not feel like they're being swindled anyway. I love that. And so I know there's your, there's been a, a few locations was the first location. And, and this dates back to when I was a kid. And I, I, I think uh, it was long before potentially you gained ownership, but was the first location, the one in, in the Nora area? Yeah, that shop had been there since 1992. So it's 30 years now going strong from that was a tiny little shop long, skinny, rundown building. <laughs> it was really nasty. And I was there for eight years uh, after I purchased it. So we moved here to the new shop with the larger square footage, larger footprint, Jordan Bar, Notre Dame Bricks, all that fun stuff um, exactly two years ago. So we've been here for two years. Go Irish. <laughs> there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of people uh, throwing things at their, uh, their, their, uh, you know, radios in their cars and, and such, <laughs> but, but we love it. Um, maybe talk a little bit about the, I'd love to understand like the why behind like the kind of the entrepreneurship journey, like going in and I know it's a lot of work, but I think one of the things that I admire just in, in the hobby is just so many people starting their own businesses and, and going out on their, their own. Maybe talk a little bit about the why you, you bought the business in the first place. Yeah, that's a good question too. I mean, Mine's totally different than most people, right? I was a true collector, hobbyist collector from 10 years old on and really wanted to continue to just the love of the card industry and and grow within that because I was buying from this owner of the shop for 2001 to 2012, 11 years, right after I graduated college. The first thing I looked for was local card shop around Indianapolis and ran upon Dick and uh, baseball card exchange. and. Um, Loved it. I mean, I opened so much high-end basketball wax from 01 to 2012. It was kind of silly. But my point is, is I wasn't, I was an entrepreneur because I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. My parents owned a company and, you know, were very successful for a long time until they split up. And then, you know, working in healthcare for a long time, I was in sales. So when you're in sales, you know, you're kind of your own self-employed entrepreneur because you're making money on a commission basis too. So the goal was to really try to bring the hobby in and to bring it back together in Indianapolis. Cause I felt like it was pretty broken and there wasn't a lot of love um, collective in Indianapolis. There were pockets of the hobby in little small areas of shows and a couple other different shops and stuff. But the indie as a whole, I felt needed a very good place for people to come to that they could feel welcome and actually understand what was going on. So it was a business opportunity and it was also a collector's opportunity because I loved the inventory that he had already at the shop. So I was able to purchase that, put some stuff in my personal collection. And then 
take the opportunity of Andrew Luck coming to Indianapolis in 2012. I mean, that was definitely part of the strategy was we have a franchise quarterback that hopefully the collector following will build upon that too. And um, we all know how that ended up. So I don't want to go down that path, but I consider myself definitely an entrepreneur. But when you have that core foundational collector love and passion, I don't, it's so much easier to be able to be an entrepreneur in this hobby. And uh, I always encourage people to kind of always collect something, you know, and, and I still do to this day. And that'll just continue to show that love to everybody else out there. Because we're, we're like-minded, even though I'm on the other side of the countertop. So we might toggle back between uh, Andy, the business owner, and Andy, the collector a little bit. You mentioned 01 to 12 basketball. There's a lot of significant sets and products in that time frame. I'd love to know as maybe Andy, the collector, when uh, you acquired business or you're opening up product during that time period, maybe some notable pulls that you have that you still think about today? Oh man, it always hurts every time we have to talk. <laughs> no, I mean, it, so 2003-04, literally I was opening, you whatever you know that's out there, I was opening. Tops Chrome, Tops Pristine, Exquisite, Ultimate Collection, SP Game Use, SP Authentic, you know, you name it, we opened. Um, I mean, I was the owner of the shop would give me first crack at any basketball that walked in the door from any of the manufacturers. Right. So flare showcase, you know, all that fun stuff. Cause I collected that stuff when I was in high school, like 96, 97, it was my junior year in high school. And I was chasing Jordan and Kobe stuff. Like you wouldn't believe. So seeing that progress into my early twenties out of college and starting to make an actual income and being able to buy one box of exquisite basketball for $600. I'm in, you know, I'm all in. I actually pulled, not a lot of people know this specific story, but my first exquisite box I opened from the shop was a, had a Dwayne Wade true RPA out of 99 in it. And, uh, I pulled that one and I sold it within like two years, but you know, I mean, I, I tripled my money. I think I sold it for like 18, $1,900 at the time thinking I struck it rich. Right. But, uh, yeah, three color Dwayne Wade RPA was my first ever exquisite box. I ended up opening about three total cases of exquisite over the next year or so. Uh, from 0304. Uh, I, I opened Exquisite every year it existed. From 0304 to 0910, I would open an average of three to five cases every year. And I pulled so much good stuff, Brett. It was sickening. I mean, I pulled the, in 0506, I pulled the dual number pieces, patch auto number to 23 of LeBron and MJ. That was a monster. I pulled, I mean, so much stuff. I pulled multiple Jordan, like the base, our, the base patch autos to 100, uh, a notable nicknames. I pulled a LeBron limited logos number to 10 from 0910. Um, I mean, that thing was awesome. It was one of the nicest LeBron patches I've ever seen. All game use. You know what I mean? Like just crazy stuff. I never pulled a logo man from exquisite. That's the one thing I never pulled, but I did pull a logo man. It was the first ever Scotty Pippen logo man that existed from 2005, six ultimate collection. I pulled it from this shop in 2005, six. And it was like, so cool. I mean, a game used logo man auto of Scottie Pippen. I was so pumped. I gave the guy a huge hug. He was like the most <laughs> anti-social grumpy man. man just grabbed him like he was like a family member and gave him a big old bear hug because I was so excited. That's just a few things I've pulled. I mean, it's crazy. It's, people out there are salivating. I think uh, as you're talking <laughs> through this, I think about just like the the different moments where the hobby interest spikes. And I think about growing up and, you know, there was the Shaq, and, and all that craze. And I, you know, LeBron, and then you mentioned his name earlier, but uh, I posted 
uh, recently I, I bought because um, I wanted it really bad and I didn't really care about the value long term. I just wanted the card. I I posted my 2012 cracked ice uh, luck season ticket that I just bought uh, from MC Sports Cards, but I, I wanted that card so bad. And so when I posted that card, so many people like DM'd me, reached out. The response was crazy. It was just like that was the card in 2012. Everyone was chasing. Us. And and so I think, and then you know, you flash forward to you know 19, you got you know Zion, Ja, and all this. Being an owner of a hobby shop, like obviously, like it, there's antennas probably go up when like there's that player and more people are coming in. Maybe like talk through some of those moments just as a business owner and like how important like <clears throat> those are to like you acquiring new customers, you being able to nurture existing customers, that sort of thing. Well, I guess I'll start it with kind of with, I always kind of talk to people to feel out what they're actually, um, what their intentions are, right? That's what I, I ask a ton of questions and, and people to the point of getting, they get annoyed by it. But I want to do it because I want to find out, are you a collector, a true collector? Are you investing? Are you wanting to rip boxes and gamble on boxes? Because those are the kind of three buckets. And I've discussed that with a couple other podcasters before is I, you know, you're an investor, you're a collector, you're a gambler, you can be a couple of both, you know, but if you're an investor, you know, people come in and like, you're talking about trends, you know, Aaron judged when he was going for the home run record was a great example where my first question was, you know, are you collecting? Cause you're a Yankees fan. Are you a judge fan? Or are you investing? Well, they were coming in and asking to buy Aaron judge cards after he hit his 61st home run. I go, well, you're buying at the peak of the market. If it's truly a business for you, this isn't your time to buy Aaron Judge because you're going to lose money. And, and within a month after the playoffs were over, Judge stuff cut back 50%. And um, I just felt bad for some of those people. And I would even try to talk them out of buying some stuff. But, you know, sometimes people are pretty dead hell-bent on, on buying something when they want it. And um, those were kind of, you know, business opportunities to talk about and say, okay, if you're truly collecting, go for it. But you need to find the player before they hit 61 home runs and buy them and project that they might do that. You know, I mean, we've won some on players and we've lost some on players like Andrew Luck. We obviously lost a ton of money. I had $35,000 wrapped up in Andrew Luck investment stuff. So, so optimistic that it was, he was going to be the guy taking the torch from Peyton Manning. But I also invested in Giannis when Giannis was just a skinny six foot, 11, seven foot guy that couldn't even hardly dribble a ball. And, uh, you know, I, I had a lot. I'll just to say that I had a lot and was able to cash out on that as a good investment. But, um, you know, as a business owner, I always encourage other entrepreneurs that have this passion to own a card shop or be in this industry to get to know the person and ask a lot of questions because you'll get to know them so much better and create a relationship where they feel like you're actually, you actually care about how they spend their money. So I think like a pivotal role that uh, hobby shop owners play <laughs> in, we, there's always this uh, question about like, well, how do we grow the hobby? How do we get more people in? And I think just in listening to you talk, it's like through that mindset that you have, it's like people come into your store and you're, of course, you're, you're, you're probably main KPI is to drive sales and get new product, get new product in, sell product. But like, I think like I gather you're probably even more interested in having those people keep coming back. And the way they do that is to ask questions and then to educate. So like maybe talk about that just, as, and, and I'm sure you're, you're connected with, you know, hobby shop owners from all across the country, but just talk about how important of a role like education is from a hobby shop owner like you. 
Yeah, education's huge to me. And that, that's the part that I think there's been like a, uh, a fork in the road, if you will, where hobby shop owners will be more content heavy as opposed to in the shop heavy, uh, making sure that they're actually interacting with their customers and stuff. And the content's good. I mean, I'm not discounting any sort of content creation out there because I'm res- I respect so many LCS owners that have really thrived on building a strong content with their social media channels. Um, we do that, but that's not our primary focus. And, and my primary focus is truly like feeding off of other shops, you know, like RBI crew and Mealy Pops and Louisville sports cards. And I mean, Burbank, um, Rob and I have been talking a little bit lately too, which is kind of fun to see how they're doing it out on the West coast. But um, just to me, the educational side of things is what's going to sustain this hobby for the long term. And I'm only 44 years old. I know I'm the old dog in this industry right now. And I truly feel that way when it goes to shows. And it's crazy walking at shows and seeing everybody in their 18 to 30 year old briefcases and, and ready to just keep trading and selling it. And I'm okay with that too. I don't mind being the guy that you come to seek for advice. Cause I hope that you can know that I'm going to try to give you my honest opinion every time. Um, but education to, to me, I've taken the fork in the road on these four walls and what's inside of it are going to be who I care about the most, the people that work for me and the people that buy from me and want to trade with me and stuff. So um, content is, is secondary and in-store relationships and education is primary. Does that answer the question? I don't know it, if I would. It does. And I, I love, I love the mindset and perspective and I'd love to get your take just on the uh, I guess I'm thinking about like me coming back in and it was, I got pulled in when, you know, COVID, a bunch of other people did and, you know, everything was going up and to the right and everybody, you could buy anything and you're going to make money off of it. And obviously like things have changed dramatically and there's reasons outside of the hobby for all of that to take place and take shape. Maybe talk about like people coming in your store and like the mindset individuals have. And I know you, you had those three buckets, kind of gambler, investor, collector, has it shifted for the collector at all? Or is it, is it, is it at, is it business as usual? And maybe like talk a little bit about just like the investor side too, on just the shift in the market over the last, you know, two to three years. To answer the collector side, it's been easier now for the collector in the last six to 12 months, because they can get things that they wanted to get in the first place for a lot cheaper price. So I actually admire the collectors that stuck it out when they were severely overpaying for stuff a year and a half, two years ago, I felt bad for them as a collector you want to keep that item and not feel like your you know, wallet's completely getting you know, knocked around. <laughs> it felt that way. You know, you almost feel guilty selling a Derek Jeter SP graded rookie to somebody for a thousand bucks when you knew that they should have been going for three or $400. Um, so that part of it has, has shifted the most, in my opinion, the investors that have stuck it out and made it through their losses. Um, you know, we're finally on that other side of the, the fence, I think, where, we all really lost a lot of money on overbuying cards and spending too much money on singles, ungraded singles, me included. You know, I bought a lot of Jordans at the peak market that were part of my collection. But on the flip side, I've made it through that. And now we can all, as investors, if you're investing in cards and you're flipping and going to shows, you can buy cards at a right price and still be able to make a little bit of a margin on that kind of stuff. So the gambler is always going to be the gambler. If you came in and you intend to open up a box of cards and you don't care what's coming out of it, you just want to have fun ripping it. That's always going to be there. And it's, you're just happier now because you're only paying $200 for a box when you had to pay $600 for the same box a year ago. But uh, I'm very optimistic about 
where the hobby is still right now. I've lived probably three to four peaks and valleys in the last 32 years of being a collector, 34 years of being a collector. I've lived those peaks and valleys. We're just in a little bit of a valley and it's not even close to the valley we were in back in like 2008, nine and 10. That was brutal. I mean, I remember talking to the owner of the shop that I bought this from. He was ready to close and he, was, he wasn't even collecting a salary from the shop. He just couldn't make any money at all, at all. I remember 2014 when I was getting completely cleaned up by 2014 Topps Chrome Football and all these massively overproduced products that Topps decided to do. And I lost $30,000 in one month and 30,000 back in 2014 for a guy who had just purchased a card shop. I wasn't even working and collecting income from that card shop. I was done. I was literally ready to just hang it up and say, forget it. I'm just going back to being a, a card flipper and collector and move on. So those, there's so many things that I would like to encourage people, you know, being on a podcast and having a platform to say, stay optimistic and, you know, don't get lost in the dollar bills and on everything that you do because there's going to be peaks and valleys. Take your losses and move on on some of the stuff that you need to take losses of. I've done that. Trust me. I've lost a lot of money on some of this stuff. But uh, you just kind of have to look at the thing from a macroeconomic perspective instead of, instead of getting fixated on one or two specific things. And that's the, that's the investor that came into the hobby because they were buying one or two or three cards and they were making money on every single one. Made money, turned that profit in, bought something else. Well. If now you're having to think more macro and that's where I think the market's going to sustain in the near future. We're still probably on a little bit of a decline, but I think we're going to hit that, that bottom out plateau and it'll sustain. I don't see it spiking ever again. Like I did during COVID and I don't, I know I'm talking too much right now, Brett, I apologize, but I just don't think it ever gets back to where it was two years ago. I just don't. And, and I think the manufacturers are going to make sure that doesn't happen either. And that's probably another topic of discussion we want to talk about. But I just, I feel very optimistic as an LCS owner and somebody who's lived it. Um, it's just, it's going to be okay. Sorry for the rain. It's like this, nonstop right now. And I apologize. <laughs> this isn't the first uh, LCS owner I've had on the pod. And, and the, the, the phone is, it, it means that's like a, the hobby right there. Just calling. They, someone, someone wants some cards or someone doesn't realize you guys aren't open today. That's totally acceptable and fine. 2014, you mentioned Chrome. That's the Manziel year, right? Yes, it is. Unfortunately. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to bring up uh, old, old scars while we're, we're framed from that, but I, I do want to hit on uh, toggling back to Andy, the collector, you mentioned your Jordan collection and you're a Jordan collector. I've always been an admirer of the Jordan collectors from afar and the community and just the passion and just the heights that which one Jordan collector goes to, to try to outdo another Jordan <laughs> collector because everyone's after the same card. Um, yeah. Maybe like, I'd love to maybe if you'd hit on maybe a couple like cards that you MJ cards that you own that you're like really proud of. And then maybe, share some stories about, about like how you ended up with those. Yeah, sure. I mean, so Jordan inserts are my thing and I don't really chase the autos at all. I think the autos are just, there's, there's two different buckets. Like I keep going back to the buckets, but there's a lot of Jordan auto collectors that'll go after the big RPA or big patch autos and things like that. I'd rather spend my money on the cool looking shiny inserts that exist. Uh, I'm even to a point where I don't even care much about the parallels, like the PMGs everybody wants and everything, but in, those not those aren't inserts. Those are just a colored numbered parallel to the base card. 
and inserts are the things that you, you could hit one in a box, you know, one in every 10 boxes. I just have always loved the fancy, shiny, cool looking carts. And obviously it's an expensive collection because it's nothing but MJ's and Kobe. I actually have a lot of Kobe's too. And one of my goals in collecting life has been to try to find the matching pair of every Kobe and Jordan <laughs> that were in the same set together. Um, <laughs> talk about an expensive, expensive, <laughs> but it's, it's just fun, you know? And, and I've got like, I think I only have like 11 more left to be able to have the matching pairs of every single Jordan and Kobe insert that's out there since when they played together. So it's really fun. The highlight of my entire collection is the Flare Showcase Hot Shots. I t- I've talked about it a couple of different times. It's the, the fire flame one uh, where he's got kind of going up for a shot and the ball's up here and the flame's all around it. That's my favorite card of all time of MJ when it comes to inserts. And I just think it's so, so pretty looking, the die cuts of it. I mean, I don't know how you could get a high grade on that, but I have a Beckett 9.5 in my personal collection. Didn't really feel like I needed to chase a PSA 10 just because it's the card that I love and I don't care about the money aspect of it. And uh, there's just so many others. I love the cut above another one of the, the, the saw blade, you know, that's just so cool. I'm having another, I'm having more people walk up to my door right now too. I am so distracted with these phones ringing and, and people walking up to my door. So I apologize for that. Six people in the last 20 minutes have <laughs> pulled on the door. <laughs> people are still buying cards, everyone. Yeah, uh, yeah. uh, so you talked a lot about the, just how you, you focus in on, you know, your, your store and that's like your home base and that your people coming in and the people who are working for you, which I think makes a ton of sense. I think I see the brand extend out of the store when, you know, I go to shows, whether it's Midwest monster right down the street from you or the national, you having a show presence, which I don't think I bought a card from you guys at the national you, I think were had just left, but I was talking to my buddy who I know your mutual friend, uh, the captain 37, Kevin Randall. And he was talking about his, the Brady 2002 black Chrome refractor. And he had one in his case, I think the PSA 10 for like 37, five or some ridiculous price. And I was like, and I understood the backstory of it all, but I, you know, being a patent collector, I, I, I had wanted a patent of that. So I went down and you had a PSA nine and you're all display. And I remember just like seeing the price tag and like doing the math. I was like this, I feel like I'm stealing something buying this, but <laughs> and ended up buying, it was like, Hey, would you guys do, it was like 50 bucks less. And it was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I still have the card in my PC right. today, which is awesome. Uh, but so yeah. talk a little bit about just like, shows and how you approach shows and just the importance of, of shows to, to the brand you all are building. Yeah. We love attending the shows. We're, we're not what I would call show warriors. We're not out there like every other weekend throughout the country and everything, but you know, we definitely try to focus on the ones that we know are staples. You know, we were at the national, we've been at the national as an exhibitor for six years now, I think it is. Um, the Midwest monster was a fun one to be able to help co-promote with Jeff from J and J all-star sports cards. And Jeff and I have been friends for I mean, 20 plus years ever since I moved to Indianapolis. And uh, it was nice to be able to put on a good regional show and help promote that with him to see 5,000 people show up for the first one in June and then another 3,000 again in October. Uh, So it's, those are the kind of shows we still go to the Chicago Spectacular. You know, we're going down to Nashville next year for a show. Uh, Jake goes to the St. Louis show with RBI crew. Uh, which is their annual show in April. So we definitely attend a lot of the uh, regional shows and everything. And we have the monthly show here in Fishers as well. There's about three or four 
monthly shows in Indianapolis that have been staples for a long time. There's one in Plainfield, Indiana, one in uh, Beach Grove, Indiana, and then the one in Fishers as well that J&J puts on. So, you know, I love supporting the shows. I love supporting the people that uh, are, are going to set up. You know, sometimes I just come out and go on a little buying spree just to try to put an influx of cash into some of the shows as well, um, which I plan on doing this Saturday, just everybody's setting up at Fishers. <laughs> I'm a big believer. You know, I remember going to shows as a, a kid, teenager and stuff, and you just get that thrill of walking to different tables and dealers and seeing what they have. Just like you said, you had no idea I'd have a black refractor Peyton Manning sitting at my booth at the National. And uh, you got it for a significant, significant discount compared to what the Tom Brady sells for. That's right. <laughs> But no, it's fun. I, I'm a big fan of shows. I always have been as a father and uh, husband, father of four, don't get to go to too many shows anymore. So right now family is very important because the kids are at one of those very vulnerable ages to make sure their dad's hanging out with them more than often than not. I love, yeah, absolutely. Family first, always. <laughs> you You mentioned RBI crew and just like, maybe just, I think we as collectors on Instagram see the hobby shop owners that like are buddies and connect and, you know, through social interactions through Instagram live. And I think it's always like, I always am interested about just like the, the connections and the benefits that two hobby shop owners can have and how it's not necessarily competitive. It's like, you're all trying to grow the, the larger pie, but maybe like Talk about just like some of those relationships and just like the value it brings to you as a guy who's owned a business for a long time and continues to grow that business. Well, you know, the old adage, iron sharpens iron. I mean, that's how I feel like LCS owners are that actually have the mutual respect for each other. We really help each other grow and provide the right perspective, I guess, if you will, for our customers. Um, you know, Ryan and I, we've been friends. We're kind of mirror images of each other when it comes to our entrepreneurial journey too. I mean, he started his shop in 2012 by purchasing it from someone in St. Louis. I started our shop in 2012, same story. You know, the only thing is he's crazy enough to collect LeBron instead of Jordan, but that's, <laughs> we always give each other that little dish once in a while if we can, but I just, he's not the only person. I mean, again, Ryan's probably one of my best friends as far as LCS owners in the hobby. One of my best friends in general. I love talking to him. I love feeding off of him. And uh, we've created such a strong respect that we see this as a collective as a whole, not each individual LCS competing against each other because we need each other. I mean, we need each other to be able to discuss pricing. We need each other to discuss trends in the market, looking out for each other when bad things happen. You know, we've had theft issues that where people are going on a selling spree because they stole from another LCS somewhere and just things like that, that you have to be able to have those relationships um, solidified. And I could name 20 LCSs that I feel are part of that tight knit family throughout the entire country. Um, I love it, but it's again, relationships. I mean, I know I keep beating a dead horse, but to me, it's creating a friendship and a relationship with somebody that you have mutual respect for. And we've all trust each other. We all really look at each other for pricing advice. You know, what kind of content are we going to provide? You know, what promotions are we doing that somebody else may be not doing and how can we jump into that? What's, what are your strengths? What are the weaknesses? You know, what kind of customers are walking in that, you literally want to bang your head against the Notre Dame brick wall sometimes and trying to get people to kind of talk you down and other LCS owners are who I really lean on when it comes to that. Cause they can understand, you know, understanding each other 
allows you to really glean off of each other and grow and um, sharpen each other up. Love it. So much like many other people do when we are away from our jobs or the kids are down, you know, you, you, you kind of mindlessly scroll hobby Instagram. And uh, I was struck by a, a video that I had seen that I saw a bunch of people reacting to, and it was um, someone commenting on just like, you know, hobby shops and how they think that hobby shops either need to go away or change substantially. And I think just like in general, like, especially as the hobby has grown and more people have come in from outside other industries, like people have their own perspective on, on what that the hobby should look like some other industry. And this is what people should do. And I don't, it's, it's, it, it struck a nerve with me and I, I don't own a shop and I don't go to shops as much as I, I should, but it was more like for, for my point of view, it was like, man, like the, the lifeblood of the hobby is collectors and, right there are the hobby shop owners who are going all in and putting, you know, they're, they're feeding their kids because they're all in on the hobby. So that, that kind of just struck me a little bit, but I, I don't know whether it's that, you know, video specifically, or just in general, when, you know, outside people talk about just LCSs and why they need to change or um, yeah. how they're, they're not benefiting, you know, they're benefiting themselves and not the people that are coming in the store. Like, what sort of like response do you have as a guy who's just been in it for quite some time? Anybody that I hear say stuff like that, the first thing I say is come see me because, and not in a fighting way. I, I want to welcome you in and show you what, why the LCS is so important. I mean, I've lived it as a customer for, you know, since I was a child all the way up until 2012. And now I've lived it as a business owner and the LCS is vital. I mean, it is the, I, I it's the bloodline of the hobby. In my opinion, it's everything kind of pulsates through the LCS because people want to know what they're spending their money on. They want to know why they're spending on that. They want to understand why a card is what it is and what it's worth, whether it's real or not. You can't get that without having that walk into a shop, face-to-face trustworthy interaction with somebody that you can, I keep saying trustworthy, but yeah, you can have the trust in an LCS owner that's going to tell you something that is not for their own personal gain. I mean, there's a few bad apples in this hobby. I'm, I'm not oblivious to the fact that some LCSs probably should go. But I can tell you right now, it's a fraction of what this guy's trying to claim that all LCSs need to go. And you just need to buy online and, and click a few buttons and have it shipped to your door. It can't happen in this industry. You know, the, the card shop industry, the card industry and the LCSs in general were built on, you get to hold something tangible and you get to see something tangible that you're, you're buying. And it's still that way. You want to see the condition of a card. You want to find your favorite player. Um, you, you want to go sift through a dime box or go through the years of 1966 so that you can build a set. It's not nearly as fun if you're buying it online. I'm sorry. It never will be. Ever, ever, ever will be. And uh, at least in my generation, in my lifetime. Um, and I hope that we can continue to educate the younger generation that the LCS is a staple. And more and more LCSs, in my opinion, are growing to adapt to modern times, right? You know, it takes a there's, a, there's a curve that has to continue to catch up to that. But the more and more that I'm seeing are the ones that have been around like myself, you know, what'd you call me? The tribal, tribal knowledge guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, the people that have the tribal knowledge, it, maybe it did take them a little bit longer, but they are growing and adapting to modern times and they have to adapt to pricing too. You know, some of the things that the I'm not even going to mention his name because I actually went off on a major tangent on my little live stream that I do once a week and uh, had a lot of things to say. Nothing derogatory, but just more challenging. 
you know, challenge somebody like that who's coming from only really doing cards since the COVID boom and only knows, like you said, the, the arrow going straight up. Don't say that kind of stuff without actually experiencing it yourself. And, you know, I, I flat out, as soon as I heard it, sent out an Instagram message, tagged that person directly and said, come to Indianapolis and spend a day or two with me. And I'll show you why the LCS is vital. So I'm very passionate about that. Extremely passionate about why the LCS needs to exist, needs to thrive, and needs to partner with the, the new powers that be when Fanatics takes everything over. And um, hopefully they'll continue to glean information from us because we're the pulse of the hobby. We know what customers are actually wanting and looking for and where their spending habits lie and what their data analytics look like because it's up here and it's now on computers because now we're, we're, we're adapting to point of sale systems that show sales metrics that need to be shown. Uh, what sports selling more? What type of price point are people buying more often than not? The LCS is not dead. The LCS will never die. And I am going to come hell or high water fight until I die to keep the LCS as one of the bloodlines of the hobby. I can feel the passion. And I got <laughs> I, I, I to gotta ask you, because it seems like a decade ago, almost at this point, but that's how the hobby moves. But you mentioned fanatics. And I think I, 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 would be, I wouldn't be doing my job to, to ask you like, how does an LCS owner, there's, this is a substantial shift in just the way things have gone or done, uh, business has been done, but like, what, what is your journey? And I'm sure it's been like, you know, drips of information throughout like all of this, like news coming out and you're gathering more insight, but just like, how have you as just a, a business owner with this substantial change going on? Like, like what's your read on just like the fanatics, deal, like how it's going to go down? Does it dramatically change anything on your end? Talk a little bit about that. Changes are happening already. I mean, we're feeling a lot of the, the strain on how much product we can actually get and what our price point is. We're seeing those two means kind of hitting each other at the moment. You know, we just got our allocations on Bowman Draft Baseball and the margins are just getting cramped tighter and tighter, which we expected. I'm not saying that that's coming as a surprise to us, but you know, it's, it's severely tighter than it used to be. So we have to pray that the price points that we come out when we're putting it out on our pre release calendar and on the shelf and on our website, you know, we do a little bit of web business too, but that those prices aren't going to quickly decline. Cause if they do, we're back to, you know, at cost or below. And there has to be a nice little law of averages where there's more margin on, on a positive way than there is a negative way with the wax, the fanatics acquisition stuff. You know, I think we're still on limbo to figure out what's happening with Panini. And as soon as that chip falls, I think we'll actually know what the future holds for product allocations with the manufacturers. You know, how much are they going to take? How much more are they going to print? That's number one. Number two is how much are they going to take from that printing and move it over direct to consumer directly from their website? Um, we're all kind of waiting on that. But there's some telltale signs that are already being shown with Bowman Draft, with Tops Triple Threads Baseball. Um, and a couple other products that are coming out in the next couple of weeks that we're getting less allocation than we ever have. They're putting the, the screws on the distributors too, uh, because they, they want to have less distribution channels and more direct to consumer channels. So I think that's what's happening. Um, I'm not pessimistic about it because we just have to adjust to the times, like I said earlier. Uh, but yeah, the, the fanatics takeover is going to hopefully keep the LCS alive. And we just don't rely on wax sales as much as we used to. You know, none of us, anybody who had an LCS during the COVID boom is spoiled. I am spoiled. I am flat out spoiled. I get it. 
you know, it set my family up for a long time because of that three-year craziness that went on. And I felt like, you know, having people like Jake, who's my general manager of the shop, without him, I wouldn't even be where we're at right now. Because the man, like, basically, we call him the Wizard of Oz. He's always behind the curtain and runs the whole show. And I can just be the, the ugly face on the camera. So my point is, is he knows what type of trends are happening. And he has a very good pulse because he communicates with a lot of LCSs, including RBI, to see how we can continue to move forward and move volume. They're making us move volume as opposed to let things sit on the shelf and collect dust, right? And, and that's the former LCS is used, used to be able to let boxes just sit and grow old and have nice dust all over the top of the box. That just that won't exist anymore. And we can't do that ourselves. I love it. There's been so much uh, insight and information. Hopefully all of you out there have benefited from what Andy has had to say. I know I have. Before I let you go, I'd love to hear about how it's crazy. We're almost here at the holidays, but uh, 2023 is going to be here on the other side. Like what, what sort of things are you thinking about? What, what sort of plans do you have for your store um, going into the new year? Uh, a couple of major things that we've already worked on that are going to be in development and hopefully active by first of 2023 is our website's going to get completely revamped. Um, we want to, have an interactive website where people can, you know, communicate with us a lot easier. Uh, there's a lot of seamless communication from our social media channels onto our website. Create a little bit more breaking as well. I mean, that's kind of always been a almost a tertiary option for us is our online breaking because we only break about once a week. We're more focused on our local customers. So you know, you again, when you are dealt a different hand, you've got to adjust to the, that hand as well. And we're going to try to incorporate different revenue streams that we hadn't been doing. Uh, we're going to really ramp up our online grading services too. Um, submissions for customers. Uh, it's mainly been for our local customer audience. And uh, I think we can move forward. And now that we've built a lot of trust in the hobby shop, allow people to be able to feel comfortable sending to us to submit stuff for them with four grading companies that we work for. Uh, PSA, BGS, SGC, and ISA. We really are... My, my most important thing, Brett, is getting more and more kids involved. So I feel like we have one of the best kids club programs in the country. We have a kids club that allows them to come in with their little membership card and they can get a free gift from us every single month. And then we give them a little birthday bonus on the month of their birthday. But we really want to make that and expand that even more. And um, we've got a couple of good, fun, creative options that we plan on doing for 23 to get more and more kids involved. Uh, currently, our kids club membership is up over a thousand kids. And I just love it makes me, it puts a huge smile on my face every time they whip out their little membership card to get their stamp for their free gift. So those are just a few options, but 2023, I'm excited about it. It's Jordan's number. So it's going to be a special year for me. Maybe I got to buy a couple more big inserts and uh, put a little stamp on 2023 that way too. I love it. I know I I've got, I'm thinking about, it. I've got uh, four different nephews that uh, enter your store and every time they come back and we connect at dinners or family events, they are always so excited to show what they got in packs and what they got from your store. So I love the emphasis uh, on that you have on just promoting the hobby to uh, kids and keeping this thing growing. Before I let you go out, I'm over the era of really being upset and caring. I'm, of course, I'm still going to watch because I'm a, a fan, but my mind, I was, I was listening to Kevin Bowen's podcast today and my mind's already into next season a little bit but like going into that like what's the in your mind as a Colts guy like what what's the best case scenario for us between now and then 
uh, kicking off uh, next year. I, this is kind of like, uh, I need some therapy at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you right now, if you can get over us losing the next five games, please do, or four games, whatever it is. We need to lose, and we need to be able to jump into that top five draft pick spot. Uh, I really hope the Colts can get another franchise quarterback. That's what we need. Um, I think our offensive line just needs a little, a few tweaks. Um, they can, they can stay strong. Jonathan Taylor is in his prime. We cannot miss out on these next three to four years with Jonathan Taylor in his prime. And if we can try to draft a really good franchise quarterback, we can be relevant. I mean, we can't keep doing this little pick up an older free agent that might have one or two more years of life left in him. No offense to Matt Ryan and to Philip Rivers and Carson Wentz and everybody that we've tried to experiment with the last three or four years, but I'm optimistic still. The defense is strong. They've got a lot of guys that have secure contracts. So I'm optimistic. I'm friends with a few guys that are internal at the Colts and they're also optimistic on who they're going to find as a coach, which your theory before we went live was pretty impressive. I got to say, I I like this Jim Harbaugh theory potentially. So let's see what happens with that, but stay, stay true, stay true to the blue and uh, hope that we lose the next four or five games. And just bite your tongue. Don't get upset. And know that uh, the April draft is right around the corner. <laughs> now, now, now we've really grinded the gears of the Michigan fans. But they, they've got a lot to be excited <laughs> about. But we, we could just uh, sit in our sewing circles and speculate all we want. A house that New Rockney built right here. Those are Notre Dame bricks right behind me. Just enveloping me right now. So I feel the uh, spirit of Notre Dame coming on right now. I always tell people when I get so many messages of people coming into India and I always try to send people your way, but there's so much cool stuff. I'm sure you've seen the Jordan bar on online, but definitely go check out Indie card exchange. Andy, this was so much fun. Had a blast chatting in Go visit the store, hit them up, follow them on social, but thanks so much for your time, man. Thank you, Brad. That was a pleasure, man. Thank you. That was a ton of fun. I have been a fan from afar admiring Andy's work. I love what he's doing, and I love the fact that it is happening a stone's throw away from where I am at. Go check out Andy Card Exchange. If you're in Indy or hit him up online, definitely follow him on Instagram. The store is doing amazing things. You take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. I'll be back more on the other side. You take care.